Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. With so much talk about the state of the art market and the several specific markets that make up the entirety of the art market, we wanted to turn our attention this week to perhaps the most blue-chip artist since Picasso. Of course, we're speaking about Andy Warhol, a prolific artist with so many well-known bodies of work. Some have called Warhol a currency of its own. So we wanted to chat with a Warhol expert about all things Warhol, including the state of that market, as well as how it generally performs when the broader art market is experiencing a softening. So in this week's episode of the podcast, we're joined by Richard Polsky, author, dealer, and founder of Richard Polsky Art Authentication. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for coming on. How have you been? How you doing, Adam? Good, good. Just in New York the last few weeks, there were so many auctions, so many art fairs, so many gallery shows. It was exhausting, but it was a lot of fun, so can't complain. And funny enough, I was at the Phillips preview before their auction, walking around with one of their specialists, and we stop in front of an Andy Warhol self-portrait fright wig, a beautiful small-scale example. And I'm looking at it, and he says to me, you know, this painting was once owned by Richard Polsky, who wrote a few famous books about Andy Warhol. And I said, I know who Richard Polsky is. I've read those books. And in fact, he was the first guest ever on our podcast here. And so that got me thinking about you and just the Warhol market. And we wanted to have you back on and chat. And that self-portrait you once bought and later sold as I said, it came up for auction again this May, and it ended up selling for about $1.6 million. And so, yeah, we thought it'd be great to have you back on. First, tell us, what what is it like to see something come up for auction that you previously owned? Wow. Okay. Uh, it's You know, I'd like to be mature about it and say, yeah, you know, I owned it, made some money on it, I enjoyed it, da-da-da-da-da. But the truth of the matter is, it's, it's very painful to see something you once owned come up for auction and bring so much more money than you sold it for. I mean, you can be philosophical about these things. And again, that would be the mature thing to do. But the reality is it, it's very hard to see these things happen. There's a famous dealer named Richard Feigen, and he has a famous quote. And the quote is, every time you sell, it's a blunder. And it's true. <laughs> you just you can't win because, you know, the minute you sell it, it's worth more money. And it was a painting that I originally paid $47,500 for. And I bought it from the Andy Warhol estate. I was dealing with someone named Vincent Fremont. And I remember he offered it to me for $50,000, which would have been fair. And I couldn't resist, you know, being a dealer. Can I get it for less? And I think I offered him forty five dollars or something. And he glared at me. And he goes, you can have it for 47.5 and that's it. No more. <laughs> I'll take it. I thought he was going to throw me out or something. You know, <laughs> I, panicked. I go, why did I do that? You know, and I, I didn't very much enjoy living with it. Um, it was a small painting. It was only 12 inches square and it was green. And Andy's uh, wig, I mean, it looked like he stuck his finger in a light socket and his wig was standing straight up. It was, it was just a powerful piece. 
had it for a while, was on the cover of my first book called I Bought Andy Warhol. And eventually, um, I know this is embarrassing and all that, but I, you know, I did decide to sell it. I was under uh, a little financial pressure from a difficult marriage, let's just say. I'll keep it simple. And my mother, I remember, said, don't sell it. You know, don't. Well, I should have listened to my mother. <laughs> and the, the upshot of it was it sold uh, to, I think it was sold for 325000 I think I may have seen 275 from it after paying fees and whatnot, which was, you know, believe me, that for me, that was a lot of money. It was a huge profit. And I was very pleased. I mean, there were no, you know, no complaints. It went to a collector in Finland uh, named John Lindell, and he was the seller, I believe, of the painting. He held it for, might have been 18 years. Okay. So, you know, he certainly deserved a, a good return. And I, I actually sent him a note congratulating him. So that was the mature side of it, <laughs> <laughs> to be gracious about it. But yeah, because, you know, I did get a lot of calls when it came up and people love, you know, you know, the word schadenfreude. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, that's what it is. People just, you know, love giving you a hard time. They're like, wow, I bet you wish you still had that painting. <laughs> you, know, you can't win. I mean, it's terrible. But hey, that's the art business. You talk to any dealer, they're going to tell you variations of the story. Well, look, uh, it's always great when there's a story behind a painting, including the provenance. And I think you should take it as a compliment that when they tried to sell this painting to prospective buyers, they mentioned you and your books. I think that's pretty cool. I did. It is flattering anytime you get attention. Of course it is. I was pleased. And so, of course, you're an Warhol expert, an advocate, a supporter. If we look at all of the post-war contemporary artists that we've seen, what do you think makes Warhol and his market so unique compared to theirs and in turn a good investment? Well, okay, obviously a complex question. Um, you know, if you look back on the last week of sales and we live in a time where everything is overanalyzed, there's just too much analysis. I was just reading some stuff this morning. There's a new column, I think it's called Art Intelligence or something. Do you know about that column? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I get it. In my I mean, this thing, the minutia, it's broken down into this and that. And, you know, I mean, I give the guy credit. He does good research. But, I mean, in the articles that appear in the New York Times and people are saying, wow, you know, maybe the art market's going down in value. You know, this uh, things only met their low end of the estimate. And if things in, in a market aren't going up, people aren't happy. They're like, wow, maybe a tree doesn't grow to the sky. Maybe the art market can't go on forever like it has been. And it has become so complicated with all these new younger artists entering the market. I don't know the names of, I'd say, 30, 40% of the art, the artists that appear at Sotheby's and Christie's and Phillips. I go, who are these people that are selling for three, four, six hundred thousand dollars? My point is, Andy Warhol looks cheap compared to all these artists. It's a known quantity. I've always said Warhol is the equivalent of the Beatles. Exponentially, each year, it, it becomes more pervasive in our culture. It, it goes up. It, 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 its influence is, seems infinitesimal. I mean, that's, that's a strong statement, but it seems to be true. Um, with that in mind, if the art market continues on its current trajectory, 
where maybe it just, I don't think it'll fall apart or anything, but it may plateau. It may even out, may stop going up at least for a bit. Uh, the safest place to put your money is probably Andy Warhol. I would probably say Roy Lichtenstein would be a strong second. Some people might even say Alexander Calder. But paintings are easier to sell than sculpture when times get tough. Um, Warhol is one of those things where there's something for everyone. His variety of subject matter is probably only exceeded by Picasso, maybe. I don't know for sure. But if you're willing to buy, let's say, and again, it's not cheap. None of these things are inexpensive. But if you can afford to buy, let's say, a small Mao painting, Mao Zedong, if you can afford to buy a small flowers painting, certainly a fright wig, I can't think of a better place to park your money. And you get to enjoy these things. They, they're great to live with. They, they really are. And it's interesting because Warhol was incredibly prolific. It almost feels like it defies supply and demand sometimes. But you said you feel it's, he's a strong investment. Certainly that's historically what, what the record has shown. And I know you feel there are certain bodies of work that you think collectors should stick to or focus on. Tell us, why is that the case and which ones come to mind? I mean, things are pretty maxed out right now. There are no bargains. The best deal is finding a great example from one of the better series and you pay up. There, there are no deals. Everyone knows what everything is worth. And it's just... Looking down the road, it, it's always what survives the test of time, what's going to hold up. All of Warhol's work, by and large, will hold up to, to a degree, of course. But there, there are always little niches. Um, certainly the late work from the 80s offers collectors opportunities. I still like the dollar signs. Um, when they were first done, they were considered crass and very commercial. In fact, I remember seeing a show at Leo Castelli it's the first time the dollar signs were shown. Uh, would have been the early 80s, uh, probably 81, 82, if I had to guess. And they were so lightly regarded that Castelli had the chutzpah, the nerve, to hang these things in his basement. There was like a basement gallery there. And it was like, I remember reading Warhol was highly insulted. It's like, give me a break. You know, I'm Andy Warhol. <laughs> You know, I mean, this is a true story. And they were the large ones. He hung, he hung the big ones and not a single one sold. I remember this. And it was like, wow. But he also did some little ones that were 10 by 8 inches, 20 by 16 inches. And they were small gems. There was just something about these paintings. The color combinations were, were magnificent. In fact, this leads to the point that Warhol was an underrated colorist. Um his color combinations were, were, you know, remarkable and unexpected. And the dollar signs certainly fell into that category. I mean, they're not a giveaway. I don't know. The little ones, the baby ones are probably 250 to 450. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, we say this so casually, oh, that's 250. <laughs> exactly. you, know, I, you know, I remember talking, you know, years ago when my father was around, he overheard a conversation I was having with an art dealer. And we're, I think we were talking about like a Klaus Oldenburg drawing and it was $50,000. And I was like, yeah, I'll give you 50 for it and this and that. And my dad, after I got off the phone, looks at me, he goes, $50,000. I go, yeah. He goes, I don't, I don't make that in a year. I think he made 45000 that year or something. And, you know, we tossed around these numbers like they're nothing. But, hey, that's the art business. 
But anyway, getting back to the dollar signs, so the small ones, 250, 350, 450, and then the 20 by 16 inch ones, you hear about them four to 600,000. Okay, again, it's a lot of money, but they're cheap. When you look at what these young artists in their 30s are you know, bringing, I don't, who, we don't know who they are, but they're in play. And I don't know who's behind them and who's speculating and who's pushing what. But most of these things don't make it. If you go back in time and look at a copy of Art Forum from the 80s or Art News or whatever, you know, we looked at Art in America and go to the ads, you will not recognize most of those names. They faded from art history. Most of these artists don't make it. Only the stakes were much lower back then. You know, a young artist at his first show is 5,000, 7,500, 10,000. People are tossing around hundreds of thousands of dollars like, like it's nothing. Um, you know, there's that, who's that woman? Is it Anna Wayant or Wyant, who Gagosian, I guess, yeah, is involved with? Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay, there's a perfect example. All right, she's a good painter. There's nothing wrong with her work. I don't see anything wonderful or innovative there. She's another good painter. But, you know, the numbers, um, even like even someone like Cecily Brown, who's, who is a very good painter, she's not de Kooning. I mean, she they look like de Kooning, but she's not de Kooning. You know, five, six, seven million. Do you realize you can buy the greatest Joseph Cornell box in the world for that? And Joseph Cornell sort of a forgotten artist, but a great, great artist. I, I can give you dozens of comparisons like this. So to circle around, yeah, Warhol's a bargain compared to what some of these other things are. They're not proven. Yeah, Warhol is a blue chip artist. He's set in art history. He isn't going anywhere. He's perhaps the most important artist over the last 100 years. I also wanted to get your thoughts on the Warhol print market. It feels like that market has exploded the last couple of years. How were Warhol's prints received when they were originally published, and why do you think they've taken off so much lately? Yeah, that, that's a good point. I also want to talk about Warhol drawings because it relates to all this. Sure. Warhol prints, the Warhol print market used to be almost exclusively Maryland prints. That's all anybody wanted. You know, these are the great prints. I think they're from 67. They were 36 by 36 inches, 10 different images, all came in a portfolio of Marilyn Monroe. What could be better? And when they came out, uh, they were $500 for an entire set. Shot up from there. I don't know. What's a set now? Five million? I have no idea. If the numbers match and they're in good condition, they have the original portfolio. But the point is that's that was the uh, gold, you know, that was the gold ring that everyone would grab for. And they still do, because they're still by far and away as great prints. But you're correct in that um, we have seen an uptick in print prices for Warhol. Um, a lot of the reason is because it was the same technique as his paintings. They're all, they're all silk screens. Uh, the difference is one's on paper, one's on canvas. And of course, it's a multiple. I understand that. But Warhol prints do represent an opportunity for collectors. There's no doubt about that. Um, again, if you stick to the tried and true... The, the ones that were done in a portfolio of 10 format seemed to be the great ones, whether it was the two portfolios of Campbell soup cans, the flowers, the electric chairs, uh, the mouths. These are the classics. And a lot of these prints are now over 100000 a piece. Again, a lot of money, but relatively speaking, not really. So I would certainly encourage collectors to consider Warhol prints. 
But I would also encourage them, if they can afford it, to buy the whole portfolio. This is what you want to do. You want to buy a set of 10 where the numbers all match. Okay. And obviously the condition is good. They're not faded. And, um, you know, buying a Warhol portfolio of 10 is probably as good an investment as buying a painting. Might even be better. Uh, people love these things. But even, you know, today it used to be, I'll give you an example. There was a Cowboys and Indians portfolio. And when they first came out, I think they were trading about 25000 for a set of 10, 30, 35000 And they're, they've got to be at least a half a million. They're probably a lot more than that. And people said, oh, these are commercial. You know, there's a photo of Annie Oakley and there's John Wayne and there's a Buffalo nickel. And people are saying, what, what nonsense? Boy, they look pretty good right now. <laughs> it just shows you these, these great artists, they're always a step ahead of us. They, they really look pretty good. I mean, maybe it's because I live in Santa Fe now, but I go, uh -huh. God, I see these in galleries here. These are kind of nice. Um, but an interesting thing also for people to consider are Warhol drawings. Those, in my opinion, have the greatest room for growth. And the reason is most of them are black and white. So collectors have shied away from them. Most of them are graphite. Mm -hmm. And Warhol had a unique line, um, minimal, but always could capture the essence and personality of a subject. Um, you know, I saw a drawing of Mick Jagger the other day. And by the way, the Mick Jagger prints, there's a nice portfolio too, signed by Mick and Andy. What could be better, you know? Rock star, art star. But anyway, these drawings, you see a lot of Warhol drawings that are 75 to 150,000 for unique work. Uh, there's an opportunity there. Someone's going to figure this out. Warhol drawings, and they're, they're out there. They're plentiful. You can find them. It's just you have to be satisfied with the drawing and the fact that most of them don't have color, but they have integrity as objects. And Warhol's market is very unique, and how many works exist, how they were created in a studio, authenticity of the work, and other factors. So if a collector is considering acquiring Warhol for their collection, maybe for the first time, can you share a few pointers with them when it comes to doing their due diligence? It all comes down to who you're buying it from. And again, no great revelation here. We live in a time where, as you know, I have an art authentication service and I authenticate world's work. There's so much fraud out there and it gets worse as these things become more valuable. I mean, you heard about the story at the Orlando Museum with the Basquiat's, mm -hmm. the Netflix, that story about Nodler is on, there's a documentary made you look. Uh, then there's a story about that woman Oh, what's her name? Anna Delvey or something scamming the art world. I mean, it just goes on and on. I mean, it, it fascinates me. But the point is, you have to know who you're dealing with. You can't buy these Warhols on eBay. And there are only a handful of online platforms that I trust. One is called My Art Broker in London. These are trustworthy people. But by, by and large, um, and full disclosure, I do do some work for them, but they do, good, they do a good job. But you've got to deal with dealers who have been in business for a long time and will stand behind their work. I mean, with Warhol, there's, there are major problems right now that I've seen as an authenticator with some of the later portfolios, like the myths. You know, these are the ones with Superman and Mickey Mouse and Howdy Doody. Mm -hmm. And there's another portfolio, the endangered species, where you have a Siberian tiger and a ram and an elephant and so on. 
these things are being reproduced on very high quality Epson printers. I don't know how they do it, but it's it's amazing what what printers can do these days, the quality of these things. Um, you hear, I can't go into this because it would take too long, but you're just seeing a lot of, uh, you gotta be careful certainly with the later war prints. And the Maryland's always, always massive problems. That's because of these Sunday be morning portfolios. But that's, you know, your listeners who follow Warhol will know what I'm talking about. So yeah, it, to me, it's everything is know who you're dealing with. That's the most important thing. And so overall, the art market experienced, I think, a weak auction season, and there is concern that this could continue. What are your thoughts on Warhol and his market during a declining art market? And, it, and I've been through this because I'm, I'm a veteran of the, you know, the 19, yeah, it was at the end of the 80s, I'd say 90 to 1995. This was the art market's biggest dip. People talk about 2008. That was nothing. You, you know, you couldn't give stuff away back then. But people have short memories. Um, when a market goes down, everything goes down. That's just how it is, whether it's real estate or art. It's just what's going to go down the least. Um, I said, I think, earlier in our talk, put your money in Warhol and Roy Lichtenstein. Those things, they just have universal appeal. And they have international markets. They have strong auction markets, strong dealer representation. Um, and historically, these are two great, great artists. I mean, it's almost perverse to say you don't like Warhol or Roy Lichtenstein. So yeah, if things go down, uh, those are the safe, safe havens. And so before we let you go, I wanted to ask you a question about Richard Polsky Art Authentication, which is, of course, your authentication business. I wanted to ask you, what's the latest since we last had you on the podcast to chat about it? Uh, sure, I appreciate that. Um, as you know, we we authenticate seven artists. Uh, the big three of what we do are Warhol, Keith Haring, and John Michel Basquiat. Um, it's it's a fascinating business because I'm pretty good at this, and yet I keep seeing things I've never I, I, that are new to me. You keep learning. Uh, one of the biggest areas of growth for what I do are Keith Haring subway drawings, of all things. You're starting to see more of these come onto the market, and a lot of them are quite questionable. There are a lot of problems there, but it's it's one of those subjects where, in my opinion, the herring drawings are the bedrock of this work. This is where it all stems from. Um, but you're just seeing, you know, certainly with Basquiat, a lot of crazy things happening. I mentioned earlier the scandal in Orlando, and that's the tip of the iceberg. Every week we see things that allegedly come from storage lockers. And they have fantastic stories behind them. And I'd, I'd love to write a book about some of these stories. I mean, the creativity, uh, the lying is unbelievable. Um, but, you know, by and large, um, the authentication business is one of those things where you just, you can't help but think that from top to bottom and the top being this you know all this controversy over the da vinci salvatore mundi you know is it real did da vinci paint it did his students paint it combination thereof whether you're talking about works created 500 years ago or works created over the last you know five years this thing just never ends 
you know, the level of dishonesty out there and fraud. One of the new things is I've been consulting a little bit with uh, the FBI, of all things, which is a real interesting experience. Wow. Um, you know, but you can't really talk about it. You know, it's like one of those things you got to keep confidential. But, it, you know, you, you feel good and you realize, wow, what goes on out there? Um, I live in an area in Santa Fe where the problems are more with Indian artifacts, more so than contemporary art. But it's, you know, in terms of a national problem, uh, fakes and frauds, it's just, it's just endless what you see. Um, so it's certainly a business that grows each year. That, that part's good. But I realize, you know, I keep thinking I'd like to expand it. I'd like to take on a few artists. But you can't. There's just too much to know. Um, I'd love to get more involved with other people. Like Calder would be an example. There's just too much. Too much to learn. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, just... it, it's, you know, the art market's unregulated and you want to believe something's real and there's a psychology, a psychological aspect to it. But yeah, there's so much due diligence that needs to happen for these things. And unfortunately, due to the unregulated nature, you know, the art world ha attracts a lot of great people, but also attracts bad people. And uh, yeah, so it's good to have people like you to to help others uh, when they're interested in, in certain artists, you know, to make sure that uh, you know, everything looks kosher. Yeah, that's well put. Couldn't Definitely. have said it. Uh, thank you. Well, Richard, thanks so much again for coming on the podcast and helping us digest the Warhol market and everything that's going on there. Uh, really appreciate your perspective. And if our listeners want to learn more about the your authentication business, what's the website they can visit? Uh, sure, great. Uh, if you just go to richardpolskyart.com, uh, that's my website. On the homepage, you'll see a picture of me with Andy back in the 80s, back when I had hair back then. Standing next to it's an amazing picture. It's a funny picture. Yeah, thank you. Of course. Thanks again, Richard. I appreciate it. Okay, bye now.